Good morning, church. Thank you for this opportunity. I want to really thank the, the leadership team at New Creation. I've been here 25 years. Um, I love this church. I love this community. I'm going to trust this morning that as we spend some time digging into a couple of scriptures and I start sharing a little bit from my heart that some seeds will be sown and some truth will land in lives and hearts this morning. So I'm part of the eldership team, the pastoral eldership team, as Wes said. I'm a lay preacher, what's called a lay preacher. No, I don't lay down when I preach. I'm a layman with a massive emphasis on a layman. I do not I do, not do this often, all right? So you're going to have to bear with me a little bit. Again, like I said, I'm trusting that there will be a glimpse into what God's been doing in my own life for the past few years. And I do believe also that it's a word and season. It fits with what we're doing as a series. It fits with the theme that we have this year. Paul has set some foundation in the last couple of weeks. So a few weeks ago, he did our Vision Sunday sermon. And he's also done something called The Big Picture. And I'm going to use little bits of that during this morning, but I trust also that we'll see that big picture as Paul started to set out for us, right? Let's just bow our heads and pray. Father, thank you for this opportunity that we get as a community, as a local church, to come together to lift your name high. You be glorified this morning. Pray, Holy Spirit, that as we spent this time in worship, that you were here, that your presence was here, that you would remain with us, that you would facilitate this time, and that you would speak life. In the precious name of Jesus. Amen. Okay, so as I mentioned, I'm going to go back to a couple of slides. I'll, I'll use a few of Paul's slides just to remind us of what we've been going through. I've also got a central scripture for this morning that I want to read. Now it's from John 14. So you guys might not have got there in the reading plan yet. Um, depends if you're overachievers or you're like me and just keeping up. We're going to use verse 1 through to 14. I'm going to read it now quickly from the New Living Translation. Don't let your hearts be troubled. Trust in God and trust also in me. There is more than enough room in my father's home. If this were not so, would I have told you that I'm going to prepare a place for you? When everything is ready, I will come and get you so that you will always be with me where I am. And you know the way to where I am going. No, we don't, Thomas said. We have no idea where you are going. So how can we know the way? And Jesus told him, I am the way, the truth and the life. No one can come to the Father except through me. If you have really known me, you would know who my Father is. From now on, you do know him. And have seen him. Philip said, Lord, show us the Father, and we will be satisfied. Jesus replied, Have I been with you all this time, Philip, and yet you still don't know who I am? Anyone who has seen the, me has seen the Father. So why are you asking me to show him to you? Don't you believe that I am in the Father, and the Father is in me? The words I speak are not my own, but my Father who lives in me does his work through me. Just believe that I'm in the Father, and the Father is in me. 
or at least believe because of the work you've seen me do. I'll tell you the truth. Anyone who believes in me will do the same work I've done, and even greater works, because I'm going to be with the Father. You can ask for anything in my name, and I will do it, so that the Son can bring glory to the Father. Yes, ask me for anything in my name, and I will do it. Okay, so there's quite a lot in there. And don't worry, I'm not going to take each and every verse and act over the next hour and a half. I'm going to use one verse as a central scripture for this morning, and then I will touch on some of the others too. So from John 14, verse 6, Jesus told them, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. No one can come to the Father except through me. I'm the way, the truth, and the life. I want to break this into the segment into two pieces, and I want to cover the second half first. The truth and the life. So what I like about this particular statement by Jesus is that he's speaking about himself to his disciples. It's not just a, like a second-hand statement about who Christ is. He's talking about himself and trying to convey something to the disciples about who he is, right? Now, I've been a Christian for quite a long time, and I've struggled with a lot of different passages, especially ones where um, Jesus is speaking to the crowds. We're going to do a series a little bit later in the year going through the Sermon on the Mount, and Jesus uses parables, um, and some of it's not so easy to understand, but he expects the disciples to understand it. Um, then also he challenges like the Pharisees and the Sadducees. And what I've grappled with is the fact that he always seems to know what's going on. Like, he knows what they're thinking. He knows what they're trying to do when they're trying to trap him. And I've grappled in my own humanness with, like, when did Jesus know he was fully God? You know, at what point? How did he grapple with whether he was man or God or, you know, how did this revelation come to him? And I'm going to use a passage from the beginning of, uh, beginning of John, John 1. So you should have gone through that this week in your, your prayer guide, uh, not your prayer guide, in your reading plan. This is set out in Colossians first. I'm going to read that. Colossians 1, verse 15 to 20. And it sets out that uh, God, oh, Jesus was always there, right? He was there in the beginning. He was there in the end. All things were created in and through him and for him, right? But I, the reason I've chosen the beginning of John in particular is because it's very succinct and very direct. In Colossians, it says that he is the image of the invisible God. So just as he was trying to explain to Philip and Thomas and the rest of the disciples, if you have seen me, you've seen God, right? I don't have to show you another sign or another miracle. I've, I've shown you. You've been with me. 
Then he talks about the thrones and the kingdoms and the powers and the principalities that have been put in place over time. And he says that those were created in and through me and for me. I'm going to read John 1 quickly, verse 1 to 5. In the beginning, the Word already existed. The Word was God, and the Word was with God. He existed in the beginning with God. He created everything. God created everything through him, and nothing was created except through him. The Word gave life to everything that was created, and his life brought light to everyone. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness can never, be ex- never extinguish it. So Jesus is talking about the fact that he always existed. Sometimes, and I'll get to this a little bit later, as Paul did in previous sermons, he spoke about that partial gospel versus the full gospel, and sometimes all we see is the Jesus that, that came and died for us. Now, to understand that he's the truth is to understand that he always existed and he is built and woven into the fabric of absolutely everything. He didn't just come one day and arrive. He was there with God. He is part of God. He is the word that is spoken, and there's many, many scriptures that talk about the word being spoken. A lot of those talk about the present and continuous tense, right? Not like it was spoken once upon a time and isn't powerful anymore or isn't still being spoken. Because Jesus is alive. He's not dead. The cross didn't take him down forever. He rose. Amen? So he lives. He always was. He is, and he always will be. So we don't need to... I don't... I don't grapple with those things anymore. How did Jesus know this, that, and the next thing, you know? How did he know that the Pharisees were going to trip him, trying to trip him up? How did he have such incredible answers? That one with the coin and paying tithes and paying taxes. It's an amazing answer. At the end of that passage, it says that the Pharisees stopped asking him tricky questions. Because his answer was so good that they didn't want to get embarrassed anymore in front of the people, right? They stopped asking him those kind of questions. And I don't have to wonder why he had that wisdom in that moment, because he was always there. He is the truth. He is the truth that existed in the beginning, and he's the truth that will exist for all eternity and all time. Absolutely nothing was created without him. That also means you and me, means the earth. It means people, it means powers, it means principalities. So when Jesus said that he was leaving the earth after his resurrection and going to be seated at the right hand of the Father on his throne... 
that he would have all authority and power in heaven and on earth, we can believe it, right? We can believe it because everything was created for him. There was a moment, and we'll get to that just now, where he came as our savior to pay for sin for all eternity. That said something new in motion, but it doesn't take away from the fact that he was always there and always truth. And we can rely on that. So I'm not gonna spend too much more time on that. My intention this morning is not to try and convince you that he is truth, right? This morning I want to convey a message of what we do with that. Because that's actually what's important in our lives. And I'm gonna use two examples of what Jesus said, not from the Sermon on the Mount, but what he said to his disciples around what that looks like and how we can implement that in our lives. So I trust this morning that most of you here, most of the people listening, are convinced that he is the truth. I am convinced. And if you're not convinced, I also trust God that he, he's got your number, he knows your name, he knows who you are, and during the course of this morning or the weeks or months or years that lie ahead, he is working in your life and you will be convinced at some point. I trust that sooner rather than later. And then I trust that you can pick up some of this word this morning and do something with it. But for all of us who are convinced, this I trust will set your life in a direction and a a path of, of trusting him and then allowing that truth to soak deep and impact those around you. Amen? Why did I start with truth then? Because we live in a world, a post-Christian world, where truth is unbelievably distorted. Truth today is anything that you can reasonably argue or vaguely convey as something you stand or believe in. And the reality is, is that's just not correct. But we're given the freedom to live like that. Society will tell you that truth is what you make it up to be and what you want it to be and what you look, want it to look like. But that's not true. So all of what we do always has to be founded on the truth, on Jesus, on the word. And again, hopefully this morning we'll unpack how to do that and implement that in our lives. So that was quite a long intro to where I really want to land. But I want to look back at that verse. 
Jesus told him, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. So we are now on the first part of that statement, looking at what it means and what it looks like to be, or Jesus to be the way. So now is when I want to go back to those two slides. So Eddie, you can put that first one up for me, where Paul spoke about the partial gospel. Is it happening or not happening? There we go. You remember this one? For anyone who doesn't, I'm going to recap a little bit. So this is a typical narrative for who Christ was and what the gospel is in the modern church. And basically what we get down to is it's based on milestones, destinations, or outcomes. Creation happened, sin happened, there was a fall, Jesus happened, Jesus died. Everyone who believes in him goes to heaven. That kind of sums up this partial gospel. And as Paul mentioned when he spoke about this a few weeks ago, that's not untrue. None of this is untrue. But it's also not full truth. And if we live our lives with this as the full version of the gospel, it doesn't compel us to do anything with that truth. It doesn't compel us to do anything with what God did for us. All it does is give us that ticket to eternity. And we get that. We have it. But God wants us to do so much more. And Jesus did so much more. Often we look, like I said earlier, we look at the life of Jesus and we look at it purely through this lens. And we go, everything before he died was for this moment, and everything after he died and was resurrected was proof to or spoke to this moment. And again, that's not untrue, but there's so much more to this. So we're going to unpack some of the way Jesus lived, how he taught his disciples to live as examples for how we should live our lives. Eddie, you can go on to the next one. Sorry, we don't have the clicker this morning. It's lost on the campus somewhere. So I need help. You can go just one more click to get our orange circle up there. Green circle. Okay, that's odd. Anyway, look at the center screen, right? So, so I've spoken about that green circle, right, where... We focus in on, on Jesus and, and his death and his resurrection. Now, this is hugely important. It's central. As Paul illustrated a few weeks ago, it is the pivotal point, right? But there's so much that happened before and after. And we're going to look at the life of Jesus, and we're going to look at what that means to empower the church because we live in, as empowered church. And guys, when we say church, right, I'm going to just leave script for two minutes here quickly. There's this concept in the like, business world where accountability 
needs to be down to one person, right? When you're on a project or something, ultimately one person needs to own it and be accountable because it's well known that if you give a group of people accountability for something, no one has accountability for that something, right? So when we see the word church, I want you guys to start looking at the fact that that is me as an individual. It is not this place. It's not the leadership here. It is not a corporate that acts in its, as its own persona. It is the makeup of each and every one of you as individuals, and you need to be accountable for what the church was tasked with, its mission, with your own journey with Christ. Because when we use church as this corporate, we offset that accountability. Our life group leaders, our pastors, our teachers, whatever. We need to own it. Okay, back to script. So when we look at the full kingdom gospel, we spend a lot more time looking at the journey and the whole story. The story where Jesus didn't just arrive one day and then die, but who was and is part of every event throughout all time. Fully God and fully man, he lived, he poured his life out in compassion for the marginalized, the broken, the hurting, the sick. Challenged the injustices and broken religious structures, he devoted himself to doing the will of his father, saying only what he heard his father say, doing only and all that his father asked him. He lived his life from the power and authority of the kingdom of heaven, but choosing to be subject to his humanity and the world in which he lived. He lived in community, leading, teaching, and transforming those around him, and ultimately commissioning his disciples to do the same. He is our example. He is the way we bring the real truth to the world that needs it. Okay, so you might say, okay, well, I'm not Jesus, so I can't do that. And you're right. In your own strength, you can't do that. I can't do that. It's one of the realizations that I've come to in the last couple of years that have hurt me the most, but also released me the most. I grew up work ethic, mentality, plan, whatever you want to call it, you can do anything, right? The harder you work, the more you get, whatever you want to term it, whatever phrase you want to use. The reality is, is that we can only do any of this through Christ, only through Christ. Very hard lesson to learn. But again, incredibly freeing. So the first thing I want to look at is that we're not going to do this overnight. I can't, it didn't happen for me, and I can't expect you guys to walk out here this afternoon and be different 
100% completely different tomorrow. That's not the expectation. It's not the expectation that God has, even when you look through the history of Israel, the different ways he had to put in the atonements for the sin and the waywardness of his nation, his people. He knows we can't get this right overnight. Okay. It is a journey. And we're all on this journey. So I'm standing up here this morning on this journey somewhere. I don't have all of this right. We're all at different stages. So I want to look at the two examples that Jesus gave and how he tried to teach his disciples. The first one is the Great Commission. Now, we all know this quite well. I'm going to read it quickly. I've chosen the version from Matthew 28, verse 16 to 20. Then the 11 disciples left for Galilee, going to the mountain where Jesus had told them to go. When they saw him, they worshipped him, but some of them doubted. So just bear in mind, this is after he's resurrected, right? People, I'm like that too, don't worry. Jesus came and told his disciples, I've been given all authority in heaven and on earth. Therefore, go and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Teach these new disciples to obey all the commands I've given you. Be sure of this. I'm with you always, even till the end of the age. He is woven into the fabric of all creation into each and every one of us. And when he died and rose again, he took his place as ruler over all things, including us. And then he sent his spirit to be in us. Now, another concept I just want to land quickly about truth and that passage from John is that he is the word. So one of the ways that we're going to look at this morning is that if you want this to impact your life, if you want him to impact your life, spend time in the word. And it will become part of who you are, part of the fabric of who you are. He's already there. It just needs to come alive. And when you spend time in the word, that part of you starts to come alive. It responds to what you're reading. The Holy Spirit reveals new and fresh things to you through the Scripture. All through the Old Testament, there are examples of where the men of God went back to Scripture. David didn't have a lot of Scripture at his disposal. We have a lot of Scripture at our disposal. But still, he chose to go back to it. He went back to those passages in the law and it helped him reveal who God was in each and every one of his circumstances. Every challenge that he faced, he was able to go back to Scripture. And that was Jesus. He is the Word. It's alive. It was alive then. He came and died. He was resurrected. He now sits on the throne in heaven. He is alive. And he is the Word. 
And if you meditate on it, it will come alive in you and it will come alive in your life. Then I want to touch on how he taught us to pray. So in Matthew 6, verse 9 to 13, and I've used the ESV version specifically here. Pray then like this. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Two phrases I want to pull out there. Your kingdom come, your will be done. And on earth as it is in heaven. Okay, so his kingdom is where his rule and reign exists. There's something very interesting about that, that last highlighted phrase on earth as it is in heaven. Do you know that all of creation, all of cosmos, all of where God exists is fully committed and subject to his will? And then he created earth and humanity and he gave us some free will. And we don't exercise that will very often as a human race. And that's why Jesus is saying, pray like this, let your kingdom come, let your will be done on earth as it is in heaven, because in heaven there's no choice. His will happens no matter what is going on, right? So where is his kingdom? His kingdom is where he rules and reigns, which Again, I'm trusting is most of us here, right? So when we go into our day-to-day -day lives, we go into our, our spaces of influence, we are taking the kingdom there because Jesus rules in our lives. We carry the kingdom with us. So don't you think it's interesting that, that, that Jesus asks for God's kingdom to come. How does that come? More of us, right? The more of us that are walking around, carrying kingdom into our circumstances, into our spaces, the kingdom is extending and advancing. So this is not about just a physical location. It's about who you are and where you are. If he is your Lord and Savior, then his kingdom is in you and with you, and wherever you go, you're advancing the kingdom. And the more people we can convince of that, the more that happens, the more it spreads. The more his will is done on earth as it is in heaven. Amen? Okay, so what do we do with this? If you go to the next slide, Eddie, I don't know if anyone remembers this. Right, it's 
from my era, back when I was 15 or whatever, what would Jesus do bracelets? That's only about 35 years ago. It's not that long ago. They probably still sell them, yes. So I've got this great quote from Dallas Willard where it says, discipleship is the process of becoming who Jesus would be if he were you. So it's one thing to have a bracelet like that on your arm and to look at what would Jesus do. The reality is, is that Jesus, when he was human, walking this earth, that was 2,000 years ago, there's a lot that is different about life, right? But he is truth. And his kingdom rule and reign is here. And that means when we are subject to his rule and reign, when we allow the word to come alive in our hearts and our spirits, then we can look to be something that Jesus would be today. For the people that we interact with, with the injustices that are taking place on our earth, what would Jesus look like in those contexts? And unfortunately, when we make statements like that and we look out at the modern Western world at large, uh, church at large, we don't actually see that. But he's calling us to something deeper and something more. So how do we go about doing this? So I'm coming into a landing now. So the next slide, Eddie. We start to, this is a slide that Paul used a couple of weeks ago, but we start to reorganize our lives around who this Jesus is to us. And there's three ways we can do that. First, we need to be with him. So as I said, spend time in the word. Spend time in the scriptures and prayer and community. Eddie, you can put the next slide on. Worship, quiet, community, life groups. Spend time being with him. And through that process, we trust that we start to become more like him. And again, this is, this is not going to happen overnight. The disciples were physically with him for three years, and even after he died, resurrected, and they spent time with him, they still doubted, right? So don't beat yourself up about this, but commit yourself to this journey. Be with him and allow being with him to impact who you are. Guard your heart from all the things that are going to distract you. The devil is a liar, and he will bring things across your path to distract you. Guard your heart. Pick up the word. Pick up the truth. Speak life into those circumstances. And tear down those lies. If you feel like you can't do that on your own, that's why you go back to step one. And you go, where's my community? Where are my people? Who can help me tear these down? But speak life. Speak truth. Speak Jesus. And then what we're trusting, 
know, as with the theme for this year, that we would be people who live on mission for our king. The call is to do what he did. Not just believe who he was, let him change who you are, and then go to heaven. Do what he did. So I'm going to give us two next points. So the first one is, like, practically, how do we do that? So one of the things that I've been convicted to do is to wake up every morning when my alarm goes off and after press news the second time and I'm about to get up is to go, Father, I give this day to you. And you know, I, I grew up in a Baptist church and I was actually taught at Sunday school that's what you should do every day. So I had some head knowledge around what this looked like, but I have never really done that, not for real. There have been stages in my life where I've woken up and I've said prayers like that on a regular basis, but I didn't really understand what that meant. What that really means is that during the day, if you've committed to him your day, your every moment, and you continue to do that through the day, that what that day holds for you is ordained by him. It's allowed by him. At minimum, it's allowed by him, right? We know we live in a broken world, and lots of strange, weird, and wonderful stuff happens on a day-to-day -day basis. Not all of that is directed by God to happen to you. But if you've committed your day to him, you can be assured that he at least allowed that to happen, and there is a purpose for it. Now, we don't have to just go like, okay, handle that. The car accident on the way to work, the death of a loved one, whatever, out of time. Ask why. Father, in this circumstance, in this situation, why? And not the why. Why me? Why now? And I, look, I, I'm making light of horrible circumstances, and that's not the intention. But often we cry out to God, why? For our own sake and our own benefit, trying to understand why this happened to me. Actually, find out why, because that circumstance or situation has brought people across your path that otherwise you wouldn't have come in contact with. They are people facing circumstances and situations, and they may not know this truth. They may not know this Jesus. They may not have a hope for what lies ahead. And you are kingdom here on earth, and you can bring that. You can bring that hope and that life and change in circumstances. Ask him why. And here's the really hard part. So once you've committed your day and you got into the habit 
of asking him why these circumstances have come across your path, etc. You can put the next slide up, Eddie. This is a great, great quote. We don't believe something merely by saying we believe it, uh, whether it becomes truth or the hope you have in what lies ahead, the fact that God loves you and is your savior, or even when we believe we believe it. You know, like I said, I grew up in a Baptist church, a lot of great foundation. I believed a lot of things, and I believed I believed these things. But actually, I didn't because I didn't do any of it. That last line is incredible. We believe something when we act as if it was true, not just when we think it's true or hope it's true, but when we behave that way. You put the next slide up, Eddie. So this is one of those examples that are, like astounds me, Jesus' wisdom. But this line is very important for us to get our minds around. Because in the context, he was talking about a coin and taxes and what we pay to God and the church and what we pay to Caesar. But it's applicable to our hearts, our lives, and our spirits. Give to Caesar what belongs to Caesar and give to God what belongs to God. There are obligations that we have living in society and on the, on the earth today, and we have to meet those obligations and responsibilities. But what supersedes that is what we give to Father, our commitment to this kingdom that is not here, it is eternal. And what he's asking for us is our lives and our commitment to that kingdom. So I've got... One thing I wanted to say to the younger generation, this thing about kingdom, right? If you really have delivered over kingdom or understand kingdom and God's kingdom, right? then just at the beginning of that, that passage where he says to his disciples, you'll have no, don't have any worries, don't have any concerns, because ultimately the kingdom that you are establishing your life and your future and your eternity in is the eternal kingdom. And not this kingdom that we're living in now, the kingdom that you're building in your own life. I'm 45, I've built a kingdom of my own in this life. It is hard to tear that down. And it gets harder and harder to tear that down as you get older and older. So I encourage you, young people, give your life over fully to the kingdom of heaven, to Father's kingdom, to Jesus' kingdom, his rulership, his lordship in your, in your life early and stick to it. Because undoing that is hard work. Then to all the middle-aged, and I consider myself still middle-aged, hopefully, yes, Commit to doing that undoing. Commit to shifting your allegiance 
to a kingdom that is your own and commit your allegiance to his kingdom. Amen. He is our savior, all true, incredibly powerful, will change your life. But he's also the way, the truth, and the life. He is our Lord and our example. Amen? Let's pray. Now ask the worship team to come up. Father God, we trust you. We trust that your word is true, that your word is life. Jesus, that you were in the beginning, you were with God, you were God. And you are the word that can continue to grow and develop in our lives as we commit ourselves to meditate on it and make it part of who we are. And Jesus, as you come alive in our hearts and in our spirits, we trust that we'll be conformed to your example, to your image, that we'd become more like you, that we'd put aside the kingdoms of this world and our own kingdom and our own agenda, and we'd commit to your kingdom and your agenda. You said that we can ask anything in your name and you will do it. But so often we come to you with our own agendas, with our own requests that are for the upliftment of our own kingdom. Father, convict us to pray prayers and believe with faith for things that you will and you ordain. Because we forget that last part that you said. Because the intention, the reason you will answer our prayers is so that Father will be glorified. Not that we will be glorified, not that our kingdom will be extended, but that your kingdom will be extended. And we trust you, Father God, that as we commit to being aligned with your kingdom, to give our allegiance to your kingdom, we don't need to allow the worries of this world to restrict us, constrain us, paralyze us. We can live in the faith and the hope of an eternal kingdom. And then, Father, I trust that as we're fully convinced of all of that, as we learn to pray, your will be done. Your kingdom come. Father, that we would be Jesus in every circumstance, in our spheres of influence.
Father, we want to see you grow and us diminish and your kingdom extended as a result. Thank you, Father God.